Departures and Arrivals. That's what our current sermon series is. We're looking at a section of Scripture from uh, parts of the end of chapter 13 in the Gospel of John through the end of chapter 14. And in this section of Scripture, Jesus mentions a number of times uh, this moving or going, the, the, the leaving and, and departing, the, the, the coming and arriving. Uh, uh, we have a number of these statements. And so, as we move through the text, we find uh, Jesus saying, um, I am going to the Father. Where I go, you can't follow, or, or I am the way. And this morning, uh, we have that statement, I am in the Father. He even says, and the Father is in me. So if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and open them to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11. Those of you that are live streaming, go ahead and get your Bible as well. We provide Bibles in the rows, and feel free to make use of those too. Hear the Word of God this morning, John 14, 8 through 11. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God show his favor on us as we come under his word this morning. You've probably seen this before horses wearing blinders, right? So, horses, with their eyes being on the side of their head, they say that horses have uh, the ability to see 350 degrees, just 10 degrees shy of a full circle. And so, uh, in order to help them focus on where they are going and where the, uh, the rider or the driver of, a, a, of some kind of a carriage wants the horse to go, they put blinders on them in order so they don't, aren't given to following all the distractions. But what if the distractions themselves become blinders? What if in our situation, rather than blinders keeping us uh, from being distracted, what if our distractions so uh, uh, become all-encompassing that they focus our attention just on the distractions? And so, we're so full of, of taxes and to-do lists and, and going to work and, and what's happening on our team and, and what's appearing on Facebook and, and all the different things, struggles in relationships, and all comes together. And our, our vision is so focused on just what's right before us. What if we could get rid of those blinders? What if the distractions weren't so dominating? You know, sometimes that happens in just these wonderful little moments. Maybe it's a, a, a walk in the late evening, and you're walking outside, and, and you look up, and you see the stars starting to emerge in the sky, and you have this sense of how small you are, and the blinders seem to come off, and there's a whole new perspective. Of course, there are times, too, when the blinders come off not because of something as delightful as a walk and looking up into space, but because of a struggle or some kind of a loss. 
And all of a sudden we find that the distractions that we give ourselves to just don't seem to have the value that they once did. And, and in our pain, in our longing, in our grieving, we begin to ask deeper questions. In those moments when the distractions come off, sometimes we might find ourselves asking, who's in charge? Who, who created or what created all this? Who is God? Where is He? What is He like? Why doesn't He, and then fill in the blank, why doesn't He answer my prayer? Why doesn't He show up the way I want Him to? And so this morning, who is God to you? How, how have you come to know this God? Are you satisfied with what you've seen of Him? Well, as we turn our attention to our text, let's meet Philip. Philip is one of the 12 disciples, the, 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 uh, the intimate group of followers that Jesus selected to, to be His disciples. And Philip, it turns out, is one of the earliest uh, of the followers of Jesus. In fact, in John's gospel, there's, there's a day when Jesus asks a, a, a couple of individuals to follow him, and it's the next day that Philip shows up. So he's not a disciple come lately. He's not like someone that just dropped in at the end going, I don't have a clue. Can someone fill me in on what's going on? He's been there from the beginning, hanging out with Jesus, hearing his words, watching his works. And maybe it might help us if we understand the passage, the, the conversation just leading in to what Philip then uh, requests of Jesus. At the, at, um, in verse 7, we find Jesus saying to his followers, he goes, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so in my mind's eye, I picture the disciples all sitting around in this upper room with Jesus, and, and Jesus says something like this, and, and, and maybe they've perfected this look because of the things that Jesus has said during uh, their time with him, and they just kind of give that look like, I, I understand what you're saying, you know, and, and I wonder how many really did. Maybe there's a couple of disciples that were thinking about just, you know, uh, something else going on the day or, or the fact that their feet had been washed or all this kind of stuff. And, and, but maybe some are, are, are wondering, I wonder what he says. And so Philip speaks up and he says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Or show us the Father and that will be enough. In other words, Philip's the kid in the class that asks the question, that a lot of other people are maybe a little too timid to ask. Jesus said, you've seen the Father. You know the Father. You've seen the Father. Uh, could you show us the Father? And we would be satisfied. You know, in this world with all of its messes, with all of our limitations and our shortcomings, our insecurities, our frailties, our broken dreams, our hurts, our wounds, our disappointments, our losses, and our longings. Maybe we're also in that same place as Philip. 
just show us the Father. Just give us a sign. Give us some kind of a reassurance. It seems all too crushing. We just want to know. God, show us yourself. You know, Philip's not the first in the Scriptures that asks God to reveal more of God. There's this story of Moses back uh, on Mount Sinai, and, and Moses is with God on the top of the mountain, and God's giving his law, and, and there's this incredible experience between uh, the living God and this servant Moses. And Moses asks that he would be able to see God's glory. You, you, you think about Moses. Moses had already had a conversation where God had said, I want you to go back into Egypt. And, and Moses ends up going back into Egypt, and, and Moses got to see all that God did before Pharaoh, all the, all the plagues that came on, all the way that God had said, you're not only going to leave this place, but you're going to leave with treasures. And God had provided for them all the way along and even split the Red Sea. And here's Moses on top of the mountain going, can I, can I see your glory? Can you show me your glory. And even then, God says, okay, but here's what you're going to need to do. You're going to need to get in the cleft of the rock. And you're going to need to hide yourself. You're not going to be able to see all of me, but you'll be able to see me as I pass by the back side of me. There's an a Irish theologian by the name of Peter Rollins, and he has a book called How Not to Speak of God. And in there, he makes this statement that we must acknowledge that the manifest side of God is also hidden. Do you get that? That the manifest side of God, the side that God chooses to reveal to us, that it comes to us with a hiddenness as a part of it. And we know this in Scripture. We, we observe it in Scripture that God shows up in a pillar of, cl- of, of cloud, a pillar of, of, um, of cloud. He has darkness around the mountain. Even in Isaiah, we find the words in chapter 45, verse 15, a God who hides himself. This God who, even in what he reveals, is hidden. He's so holy. He's so pure and other and set apart so majestic and, and good and just that his, his wisdom is beyond our understanding. His ways are not our ways. There is an aspect of God that is beyond our comprehension always. Even when he reveals himself to us, he's higher and greater and all good, lacking of nothing. And so we can, as humans, we can speak of our divine desire. Not that our desire for seeing God is divine, but we desire to be able to know the divine, to know God. When was the last time that you asked, maybe even demanded of God, that He show Himself to you? that he would show up in some particular way, that he would move in a way, God, if you, if you really exist, show yourself to me. God, show me more of who you are. 
I was talking with a member of this church the past couple of weeks, and this particular member of the church grew up in a, a Christian environment, and uh, a number of the instructors uh, that this particular person had as he was growing up, that it was Christian instructors, and, and um, whenever uh, there was a question that the instructors didn't know the answer to, they would always say, it's a mystery, you know, and, and that uh, students would ask questions, raise their hands, and, and what about this? Well, well, that's a mystery. And after a while, it just became not all that satisfying, that, that everything's a mystery, so why even ask a question? How do you feel about mystery? You know, I think some of us get kind of excited about it. Ooh, mystery. In fact, some of us might even, might even use it kind of in a prideful way of, well, you know, in my faith, I've gotten to the point where I'm comfortable with mystery. Mystery is okay until it's not. Mystery is okay until we find ourselves in that position where we long, where we feel like we need. God, would you show me? Jesus, if you showed us the Father, that will be enough. I'm so thankful for Philip that he spoke up. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you have that sense of Philip going, God, just show me. Show me. Well, that's our desire to see the divine, our divine desire. Let's talk about divine discipleship. Divine discipleship. This comes to us in uh, verse 9. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever has seen me have seen the Father. I, uh, I, I love this part, too. So here we have Philip, who's one of the 12 disciples. Philip, who, who's hung out with Jesus for all these years. This is this is no slack when it comes to the experience of discipleship. This is Philip, one of the twelve, who became one of the twelve apostles. And then we have Jesus. We, we have the Messiah, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in this disciple-making relationship, the Son of God, and one of the twelve. And still, uh, Philip doesn't get it. And maybe you know already of that experience. Maybe you know that there's somebody that you've been reaching out to that, that you so desperately want to, to know God, that, that you want them to have a relationship with God, and you've been reaching out to them. Maybe there's someone that you have been working with that you hope that they would take a next step in their faithfulness. And yet you're frustrated in that, that it's not happening the way you want it to. You know, as pastors, and I'm not saying that, that you are like that at all. You, you, you rush toward God all the time, right? And, and everything that anyone preaches from up here, you're like, yes, we're all for that. But here, Jesus and Philip, there's this struggle of understanding. It's interesting how Jesus responds to Philip. Uh, in what he doesn't refer to. 
What I want to do right now is talk just a little bit about the divinity of Jesus. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily appear in our passage, although it undergirds our passage. So let's take a quick look at the divinity of Jesus. So, so this is the divine one who's doing the discipleship. And I just want to uh, give us a couple of handholds for the divinity of Jesus. John's gospel has already proclaimed such things. In fact, I'll put some passages up here. If you have your Bible, you, you can look at them as well. If you want to write them down in your notes, you can look at the verses later too. So in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've said that verse a number of times in this room. In the beginning was the logos, and so John here uses a Greek word that would have had meaning and connection, and he's helping them understand we don't have time to explore all that, but he's saying, listen, in the beginning was the logos, was the word, and the word, the logos, was with God, so we can say that there's a relationship, a distinction coming alongside God, and the word was God, that there's an identity, a togetherness. Already we're seeing this established meant that the pre-existing Jesus uh, was with God and was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. So the very work that the God does, creating all things, all things um, were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so even Jesus is not made, because all things that are made were made through him. In him was life, the kind of thing that, that would happen with God, that in him was life, and the life was the light of human beings. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcome. If we drop down that chapter to verse 14, we find the words, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, the one who was with God and was God in the beginning becomes flesh, fully God, becomes fully man, fully God, fully man. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. You see how John's bringing these words forward for us, to, for us to grasp this thing that seems mysterious and beyond our reach, he says, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's take a look at just one more. So this, this changes context. So those first 18 verses of, the, of John's gospel are a prologue. So there's a certain kind of just teaching straightforward to us. And we get into the text itself when we go to John 6, 38. We find Jesus now saying it this way, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Notice he doesn't say, so I've been born of man and woman in order for me to have this calling on my life. Now, he, he, he's not necessarily making a, a straight reference. He could be an angel coming down. But if you put all of the references together, here is the God becoming human, fully God, fully human, so that Paul Paul would not have had access to John's gospel, but he writes in Colossians 2.9, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So in this discipleship moment, here we go back to Jesus and Philip. 
And Jesus could have said to Philip, you know, Philip, you asked to see the Father, but you need to know that I am the Word that was in the beginning that was with God and was God. You need to know that. Jesus could have said, you know, in me before all things, in fact, all things were created through me, but he doesn't say that. He could say, in me, in the beginning was life, and the life that was in me is the light of all people, but he doesn't say that in this discipleship moment. There's this concept that theologians talk about called the subordination of Christ. It's not to say that the God the Father and God the Son are of different levels in, in terms of authority or in terms of, 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 of substance or like, like Jesus is some kind of lesser being. They're the same being. They're, 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 in fact, we talk about the Trinity, that there's three in one. It's a fellowship, three in, in one, a singularity fellowship. And they're, they're all equal in terms of godness. And yet Christ... The Son of God subordinates Himself, submits Himself to the Father. The Father sends the Son into this world. And that the Spirit, the Spirit is, it comes from the Father and the Son. And so the Spirit submits Himself to the Son and the Father. And the subordination that takes place of the same equal uh, uh, in the Godness. And yet this subordination, even in their relationship with one another, they show us the way divine discipleship, which then moves us to this divine dwelling. If Jesus doesn't refer to his own divinity in this discipleship moment, what does he refer to? Divine dwelling. Okay, so I uh, went to UCLA for college, and by the way, Tar Heels fans, nice job. Um, I loved seeing a friend of mine here at church this morning. He goes, don't worry, Pastor Bob. There's always next year, which is awesome. I love hearing that. But at, uh, at, at UCLA, um, my freshman year, I got to live in Reber Hall, which is not necessarily a privilege uh, if you've ever seen Reber Hall. Uh, it's one of those just massive dorm buildings and nine or ten or so many floors, I can't remember. And Every floor is the same. You get up on a floor and there's the elevator banks in the middle with the restrooms and around the edge are all the dorm rooms. And if you look in, all the dorm rooms that are just the same, wardrobes on the side, twin beds, desks, window. And there were those of us who resided in the dorm, and then there are those who made their home in the dorm. Those of us who resided, like I, I resided in the dorm. I, I had a bedspread. I think I put one poster on the wall and had my books on the desk. That was it. But you go into other people's dorm rooms, and they moved in. It became their home. They had lofts and they had their own kind of curtains and, and they had lamps and all kinds of different things that they brought into the room. They weren't just residing. They made their home in the room. But we have such a picture in our passage. Jesus says in verses uh, 10 and 11, he says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. 
not just residing, but making our home in each other. The, the, this mutual indwelling, I in the Father and the Father in me, impacts what Jesus says and does in this world. In fact, it defines what Jesus says and does in this world. I'm not going to put these on the screen, but just real quickly, let's, let's look at a couple of places, a few places where Jesus uh, comments just such. You can write them down in your notes. I'll, I'll, I'll repeat the passages. So this is John 4, 34. John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His, his nutrition, his sustenance comes from doing the Father's will. The Son in the Father and the Father in the Son. My food is to do his will. This is verse, chapter 5, verse 30. 530, John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the Son in the Father, the Father in the Son. The verse we read before, John 6, 38, 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me, the Son in the Father, the Father in the Son. This is Jesus. This is the divine dwelling. The fully human Jesus intentionally makes his home in the Father. And he does this without error. This is where his divinity is partnership with his, his humanity so that he can, he can be the one without sin, without any error of alignment, that they can be completely aligned, that the will of the Father is being lived out in Jesus, in the Father in the sun. You know, we talk about this in sports, that a person can be in the zone. You know, when everything's just working just right. It's not just sports. You could be on the debate team and be in the zone when you're debating. You could be in, in the marching band and the whole band be in the zone when everything is aligned and just happening the way it's supposed to be. You can be in the zone in your marriage, in your parenting. You can be in the zone at work and at school. Jesus is in the zone. I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me. Now, I want to give us just a quick foretaste of what we're going to be experiencing in a couple weeks from now. See, when we get to a passage like John 14, 23, 14, 23, we find these words. If anyone loves me, Jesus said, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And here it is. And we will come to him and make our home with him. To love him, to love Jesus and keep his commands is to be in Jesus. And to have the Father and the Son come make their home in us. It's even said in a more direct way in John 17, as Jesus prays to the Father. Here's he's praying. At the end of that prayer, he says these words, 1720. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. I don't just pray for the disciples. I pray for everybody, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you gave me, I have given to them 
that they may be one even as you, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Divine dwelling. Jesus doesn't point to his divinity, but he points to his submission, his making his home in the Father, and the Father making his home in him. So I think this passage for us answers at least two questions, two meaningful questions for us. The first is this, what is God really like? When you sit there, who is God? Who is in charge? What is he really like? We can look to Jesus. That's the answer. We can look to Jesus. His words, his works, his relationships, his decisions, how he carried himself in this world, it reveals the Father to us. You want to know the Father? Know Jesus. Complete alignment. It also answers the question of why follow Jesus. Because the Father is completely in him. And he's completely in the Father. There's total alignment. You know, this is the particular claim of Christianity. It's not about how many roads are going up the hill or up the mountain. It's about the road that came down the mountain. That the divine Son of God, the the second person of the Trinity, came down the mountain and showed us the Father through his words and his works. And that through Jesus, we have access to the Father. So how do we apply a passage like this? The first thing is this, step, let's step toward Jesus. Maybe you're, you're not at the place where you want to say yes to Christ yet. Maybe that just isn't it, but let's take a step toward him. If it is true that Jesus is the one who uniquely reveals the Father, maybe you're like Philip and you go, Jesus, would you show me the Father? And you can look and see him in Scripture. We can also then choose to follow Jesus. We can go from taking steps toward him to being able to say, yes, I I receive your love, I receive your grace. I want to follow you. Not just to reside in you, but I want to make my home in you. And I want you to make your home in me. And then we can choose also to represent Jesus. This is what Jesus did for the Father. He was in the zone that we would be aligned with the Father in this world, that when other people would see our, hear our words and see our works, they would see the Father who loves them. So let's go back to where we started. Blinders. It could be that we're so just always with our blinders on. Today, may we set those distractions aside. May we shake them off such that we would know that, that what it is to be in the Father and in the Son and to have the Father and the Son in us, that we would ask, I know this, that we would be able to say, I know this good God. I know who He is. Jesus has shown Him to me, and now I can show Him to others. This is the God we choose to follow because He chose to reveal himself to us. Let us be in the Father. Let's be in the Son. Let's welcome the Father and the Son to make their home in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that indeed you have made yourself known. We acknowledge that, that 
you are other, that you are so greater than, than we could ever even conceive of, that there is something, at least in our current state, that is hidden from us. And yet you have made yourself known in Jesus Christ, that we have seen you, that we can see you in the pages of Scripture, that, that, that you being alive in our lives, that you reveal yourself to us. And so, God, may you make yourself at home in our lives. May we choose to make our home in you, even on this day. That we would prioritize all of who you are, all that you're about, that that would be the very being of who we are. We thank you, God. We thank you that you do reveal yourself. To you be the glory. In Christ's name, amen.